Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. This weekend, Bottomless Brunch begins at 11 a.m. on both Saturday and Sunday. Enjoy Bottomless Mimosas, Bloody Marys, Truly, and Bud Light for only $20 with your purchase of a brunch entree, be it beer, burgers, bourbon, or baseball. We always encourage you to walk on over to Walters. Walters is also the perfect place to watch football with friends, whether it be Monday, Thursday, or the weekend. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fernandez sets and throws. And a swing and a long drive right field. This one's way back. Forget about it. Going, going, and long gone. Ten rows deep into the lower level of seats down the right field line. A long line drive home run for Juan Soto. That's number 27 on the season. And the Nationals lead it now 3 to nothing. Rainey the kick in the pitch. Fastball pulled to the ground. Bell has it. He's going to take this one himself, beating the speedy Chisholm to the bag. And a curly W is in the books in Miami. Tanner Rainey comes in to get the final two outs and preserve the first major league win for Josiah Gray, who gave up just two runs over six hits tonight. No homers. He struck out eight and walked one. The Nationals homered three times. Hernandez, Soto, and Garcia. Soto on base five times in the game. And the Nationals on the field to celebrate a victory and a series win in Miami. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, September 23rd, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, it will not be happening, it being a 100-loss season for the 2021 Washington Nationals. They clinched not losing 100 games with what happened on Wednesday night, a 7-5 win at the Miami Marlins to win 2-3 in the series. That's now 63-89 and on the season. So 99 losses would be the maximum number of losses possible for the Nationals, who have not lost 100 games in a season since the back-to-back 100-loss seasons of 2008 and 2009. But more to the point, this win on Wednesday night, a feel-good win for many different reasons. Juan Soto is in a universe that few people ever enter into right now. We'll be getting to him momentarily. But Josiah Gray, did Josiah get his groove back with what he did on Wednesday night? I know it's the Marlins, but man, did he need a good outing. And it was great to see him pitch as he ended up pitching more. Oh, he absolutely did, Al. And for early on, it looked like it might be a spectacular start. It didn't quite end up that. But for him, six innings of two runs with, what, one walk? He did not allow a home run for the first time in a big league start. That was a big deal for him. 
He struck out eight, and just even beyond the numbers, he just looked like a different pitcher. He was aggressive. He was attacking the strike zone. If you noticed all his misses, those four starts when things went haywire, all his misses were to the arm side. So facing a left-handed hitter well outside the zone. He wasn't missing there this time. He was missing up. He was missing down, but not way off to the side like that. He wasn't wasting pitches the way that he did in those previous ones. He looked just much more composed. He looked like the guy that we saw in those first four outings. And I don't care who the opponent was. The stuff was good. The poise was good. And uh, he got through six and finally got, I know you're big on this, finally got his well-deserved first career win. Oh, goody, goody. He got a win. Well, that changes everything then. Uh, (laughs) Josiah, Mark mentioned some of the numbers. Two runs in six innings, eight strikeouts versus one walk. And the walks were such a problem in that previous outing. The 9-8 loss to Colorado at Nationals Park Friday night. Josiah in that game, four walks into wild pitch. Just could not find the plate. So much better in that regard on Wednesday night. He threw 71 strikes versus 29 balls on 100 pitches. Uh, Only gave up six hits, a triple, a double, and four singles. I mean, he looked like the guy we saw over his first five outings with the Nationals. So this is kind of an oversimplification of things. But if you look at Josiah now, it's all right. His first five starts were good. His next four starts were bad. And now this latest one is good. So it's six good starts, four bad starts. I guess in theory, he has, what, two starts left in the season. If he could have those starts be good ones and he ends up making it eight good starts, four bad starts, that's not bad. Kind of felt like he was maybe not going to end the season feeling great. But if he can end with three consecutive good outings and you say, all right, Josiah Gray made 12 starts for the Nationals down the stretch in 2021, eight of the 12 were good. We can work with that. We can function with that. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, these last two are going to be telling because the first one's going to be at Coors Field. So good luck with that. And the second one, assuming he makes it, he's in line now for game 162. So unless they decide they want to do something crazy on that last day and give somebody else a start that wouldn't normally get it, he gets that one. And that's a game against the Red Sox, who may have everything on the line that afternoon. We don't know. We won't know for a while. But it's possible that could end up being the most important start that he's made in the big leagues, just given the magnitude. That's a legitimate, you know, the Nats aren't going to have been in a pennant race game with him on their staff, but that is a major pennant race game in Major League Baseball. And I would love to see how he handled that kind of situation. So that could be coming in 10 days. Yeah, I think these are two important starts for him. You really want him to finish strong. And this was a good first step towards that. Do you think Josiah Gray, no matter what, is in the Nats rotation to begin next season, that there's like no real perceivable possibility of him not beginning the season in the major league rotation? Yeah, I would have a hard time seeing how he wouldn't be. I mean, it would require, you know, forget about an injury because that would obviously throw everything out of whack. But I think it would require everybody else being healthy. So like Strasburg and Corbin having great springs and being healthy, Joe Ross being healthy and them having gone out and signed a couple of uh, starters in the offseason. Maybe Cade Cavalli having a lights out spring that like forces the issue to get him in there. And, And even then, I think they view him and I think they've seen enough to know that he can you know, that he's ready for this level. There may be some lumps along the way, yeah. But I haven't gotten any sense that the struggles he had in those four outings were them thinking, well, he probably needs some more seasoning. No, I think they think he's ready for this. So yeah, I would be shocked if he's not in the rotation next April. I'm totally with you on that. Great to see him bounce back, though. It would have been very off-putting if he had ended his season with nothing but more bad starts. So at least to kind of stop the bleeding with this outing, and uh, hopefully you can build upon this over, in theory, two more starts 
in the season. Now, I had to laugh at this. So, you know, this felt like this was going to be a second consecutive easy breezy Nationals win. Of course, nothing is easy nor breezy, it feels like, with the Nationals, not for very long this season. So Josiah goes two runs, six innings. Austin Vogt tosses a scoreless bottom of the seventh, does give up a leadoff double to Eddie Alvarez on a one-two pitch, but escapes the inning unscathed. Patrick Murphy tosses a perfect bottom of the eighth, and then Ryan Harper decides he wants to play some more baseball. Bottom of the ninth inning, you're up 7-2, and you end up having to not only warm up another reliever, but bring another reliever into the game. Harper faces four batters, gets just one out. <laughs> Davey must have been screaming. Gives up a leadoff single to Lewin Diaz on an 0-2 pitch, a two-run homer to pinch hitter Nick Fortes, and a one-out full-count solo homer to Sandy Leon. Rainey comes into the game, looks sharp again. The strikeout streak does stop, but Rainey faces two batters, gets the final two outs of the game. But man, it's like, it couldn't just end in a perfect way. We had to go through this where Harper struggles and you have to bring in a fourth reliever into the game. So remember back when we were asking, why isn't Ryan Harper pitching in high leverage spots? Yeah. He's got an ERA under one. Everybody else is struggling. Davey, why won't you use him in these big spots? Well, I think we've started to learn why that wasn't the case, that they felt like his stuff didn't quite play up to those sorts of situations, and that while he was being successful, it was maybe not an accurate reflection of the true pitcher that he is. And now after this one, his ERA is up to 315. So that's a little more in line with perhaps what he is. That was disappointing for sure. And, you know, agreed. It was like just the fact they had to warm up somebody else on a night when you would love to get through the night without warming up either of those guys, Rainey or Finnegan. And he ends up warming up Rainey and then bring him in. Now, I suppose you could glass half full say this was a nice little test for Rainey. After those first two appearances that he was lights out, six up, six down, all of a sudden he's thrust into what is a save situation, believe it or not, to get the final two outs of the game. And though he didn't strike him out, he got a couple ground balls and he was pumping the strike zone, seven pitches, six strikes. So, I mean, that was a continuation of what we've seen. And all of a sudden in, you know, a quote unquote high leverage spot with the game on the line. So if you are interested in perhaps these last two weeks as being an opportunity for Tanner Rainey to reestablish himself as a uh, member of their late inning plan for next year, maybe this was a little, you know, bonus for him. But I don't think anybody really wanted to come to that. No. And I mean, for Harper, this was a low leverage spot. I mean, this is about as low as it gets. You're up by five at the Marlins in a lost September, and uh, you have a hard time closing it out. And Sandy Leone, still in baseball, hitting bombs off you. Uh, that's not a good thing. Hey, Nats fans, are you looking to buy or sell a home or an investment property? If so, contact Jamie Coppersmith and the Coppersmith Group at McInerney Associates. A huge Nats fan right from the get-go in 2005, Jamie has repeatedly been recognized by Washingtonian Magazine as a top-producing real estate agent across the DMV. Referred to by a client as a Jedi Master of Real Estate, he will bring his expertise to bear on your behalf, helping you understand and navigate this challenging real estate market. Jamie is a five-tool agent who's as patient as Juan Soto at the plate. He has his own version of Moneyball, a strategic and statistical market-based analysis that balanced with a deep respect for your specific real estate needs, goals, and timeline. So whether buying or selling, call Jamie Coppersmith today at 202-525-7471 or visit his website at thecoppersmithgroup.com. That's Coppersmith with a K. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat 
before metroing down. You can also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games. You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Next pitch. Swinging a line drive left center field. That's a base hit up the gap. It'll be cut off by Brinson in deep left center. Heading home is Thomas. Over to third is Escobar. And holding it first with an RBI single is Juan Soto. That's his 90th RBI of the season. Nationals lead 5-2. Soto is 3-3 three for three in the game plus a walk. What a night for Juan Soto. On base another four times in a single game. Well, Josiah Gray, I would say, was the biggest positive from Wednesday night. But if you want to say the guy we're about to talk about was the biggest positive, you won't get an argument from me. Juan Soto remains about as locked in as you will ever see a batter locked in. He gets on base five more times on Wednesday night. Three for three with a two-run homer, a double, a single, and two walks. Yeah, he was a triple shy of the cycle. Soto in the top of the first, a two-out double to the right center field gap. Soto in the top of the third, a first pitch two-run homer to right field for a 3-0 Nats lead. Soto in the top of the fifth, a five-pitch walk. Soto in the Nats three-run seventh, an opposite field RBI single to left center for a 5-2 Nats lead. And then Soto in the top of the eighth makes some history, draws a two-out intentional walk, tying Bryce Harper's record 
for most walks in a season by a Nats player at 130. Now, the Harper record was set in 2018, not 2015, which I think might surprise some people. But man, Mark, Juan Soto just keeps doing it. He ends up having a monster series at the Marlins here over the three games, six for 10 with a homer, two doubles, three singles, and six walks. He cannot be stopped right now. Obviously, he's not getting a ton of pitches that he can hit, but he's getting enough and he's producing game in, game out. I've hardly ever seen anybody take advantage of those few pitches that you get to hit. That's Barry Bonds. That's really the only one I can think of who was treated that way and still had the success that he had. And real quick on Harper, yeah, it was 2018. You know the reason it wasn't 18? Because he didn't have the protection. That was the year that Ryan Zimmerman hit behind him and Joe Madden walked him like 15 times in one series at Wrigley Field. And Zimmerman kept coming up with the bases loaded and kept hitting it in double plays or striking out. And so the book was out and everybody realized, just don't pitch to Harper. And that's how I wound up with 130 walks. So you know, maybe a little bit of a similar thing going on here, although I I would argue that Josh Bell has done a really nice job here in the second half as Soto's protection. But it is truly remarkable what we're seeing here. He keeps doing this every day. You know, I was only a couple days ago we were talking about, oh, he just reached base four times for the 21st time this season. Well, now it's 23 times this season. And here's the company that he's now keeping for that. The only players in history or in modern history, so that's since 1901, who've reached base four times at at least 24 games in a season are Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds, Lou Gehrig, Ted Williams, Mickey Mantle, and Wade Boggs. Okay, that's the company that Juan Soto is keeping. And oh, by the way, he's still 22 years old. It is remarkable what he is doing right now. And I think more and more, the entire baseball world is waking up to it and understanding that this is a generational player, so much so that, and this is what I wrote about, you know, in my article, my game story was really focused on him more than Josiah Gray. I think we have to start seriously talking about him in the MVP race. I don't know how you can't talk about it. He leads the league in batting average at 321, on base percentage by a mile, 466. His OPS is over a thousand now. It's 1010, trailing only Harper at 1051. 27 homers, 90 RBIs, 104 runs, 130 walks, like you said. He's still got 10 more games, and who knows how much more he can add to the puzzle. The only reason for somebody not to strongly consider him for MVP is that the Nationals are going to lose 95 to 97 games, something like that. And that would be the only reason. And you can we can have this debate, should it matter or not? That, to me, is the only drawback here, and I don't think that's Juan Soto's fault. No, I think it's personally moronic not to vote for him because he's on a bad team. I hate that line of thinking, and I would hope that most of your brethren no longer subscribe to that line of thinking. Here's what's interesting, too, about Juan Soto. So, you know, you might say, well, he's got these great offensive numbers, but is the overall package appealing enough, the way it's appealing with other guys? Juan Soto entered games on Wednesday, number two in the National League among all players in wins above replacement for baseball reference. Not that MVP has to be a war exercise, but I think it's a good place to start. Only Zach Wheeler, the Philadelphia Phillies pitcher, had a higher B-war than Soto did entering games on Wednesday. So if you're saying, well, Fernando Tatis has been a better overall player this year. No, he hasn't been. Juan Soto's been a better overall player than Fernando Tatis. You know, maybe some are suggesting, well, Bryce Harper's been an overall better player than Soto this season. No, he hasn't been. Juan Soto has been the better player. Now, again, I know war isn't everything, but that might surprise some people. He absolutely should be in the MVP conversation. And, you know, something else that's always been interesting to me, too, with Soto is 
He gets a lot of traction on social media. There are a lot of national MLB writers who tweet stuff out about him, and those tweets get a lot of attention. Like, I know one of the big Juan Soto fans is this guy, Mike Petriello of MLB.com, and he puts stuff out and, you know, raves about it. He's one of the guys who comped Juan to Ted Williams in the offseason. So I think stuff like that helps because Juan is young and charismatic. He does have a national presence that I think will help his MVP campaign. Now, does he win it? I don't know. I mean, you know better than me. You're in the BBWA, but he absolutely is a candidate, and he 100% deserves serious consideration, and he is arguably the front runner right now. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far just based on how I think most voters will approach this. I think at the moment, with 10 games to go, most would say that Harper is the front runner. Not a lock, but that Harper would be the front runner, and Soto is essentially trying to catch him. And the reason for that, you know, is that Harper still does have slightly better numbers in terms of OPS being the main one, more homers, more doubles. So he's slugging better than him. And he's doing it on a team that, yes, is still in contention. We can debate whether the Phillies are actually good or not. But I think it is fair to say that one of the reasons that they are still in this ridiculous race in the NL East is that Harper has done a lot for them. And so you know, when you're talking about value, that is something that I think still does register with a lot of voters. But like I said, there's still 10 days to go and a lot can change. And Soto is making a tremendous charge here. It's one reason why as a voter, I don't have an MVP vote this year. I have a Cy Young vote, which I'm kind of glad (laughs) because I don't know what I would do in this case. But it's one of the reasons that I purposely try not to start ranking my guys until really right in that last final week, because so much can change and you want to evaluate the total numbers at the very end of it all. You don't want to jump the gun on anything or have a preconceived notion going into it of what you're going to do. And so if somebody's already made up their mind that it was Harper or even weeks ago that it was Tatis, well, no, it can change. And you evaluate at the very end what it all is. And I agree with you that Soto has helped that he does have a little bit of a national profile And I think what also helps there is that he's already done it on the biggest stage in October of 2019. People who didn't know who he was before that learned very quickly who he is and how special he is because of what he did that October. And they still remember that and they give him credit for that now. I'll throw out another advanced stat for you. So there's a stat now, WPA, win probability added, which is basically the quantifying of clutch. When people say you can't measure clutch, oh, yes, you can. WPA allows you to do that. Juan Soto is number three in the National League in WPA entering games on Wednesday. Now, Harper is number one and Tatis is number two. But, you know, if you want to say, well, Soto's had a bunch of hits and walks in empty, meaningless situations, not from a standpoint of adding win probability to the Nationals this season. So I know the bulk of his games haven't necessarily mattered, but a lot of his plate appearances have mattered. I mean, basically everything you look at with this guy is favorable. So, you know, does he win? Who the heck knows? But should he win? I think more and more the answer is yes to that question. His major league leading on base percentage is up to 466 on the year. The major league leading walks total at 130. The slugging percentage is at 544. You mentioned the OPS 1010 on the year. The batting average is at 321. Not to nitpick, but I do want to get your take on the defensive play that involves Soto in this game. He did fail to make the catch on what ended up being a one-out triple by Brian De La Cruz in the Marlins. One run six, the ball going under and by Soto as he made a backhanded attempt at the ball while running toward the right field line. Not an easy play, but I mean, from your perspective, is that a play that Juan should have made? Yeah, it's a play he should have made. I think he would agree. And he just kind of got, you know, hung up in a weird spot and 
just didn't react to it well. But I think that's been by far the exception to the rule this year. He has made so many strides out there. And I think that's another reason that, you know, he should be in this discussion because of his defense. We don't necessarily think of it because he's not like, he doesn't make a lot of spectacular plays, doesn't throw a whole lot of guys out, you know, not a ton of big sliding plays, but he's making all the plays that he needs to. And he's at plus five defensive runs saved, at least coming into the game on Wednesday, which is a huge improvement from where it was last year when he was at minus nine in the outfield. So he's so driven to be better at everything that he does. And I mean, the scariest part of it all is as great as this season is, I am sure he's going to go into the winter and pick out something that he thinks he can be better at and work all winter at trying to be better at that next year. He's the rare athlete. Max Scherzer's in that same category that they can always find something to be better at and they're never going to be fully satisfied. He combines the immense talent with the drive to be the very best. And it's such a joy to watch. And it really has helped, at least for me, help make this last month a lot more enjoyable because when the team isn't playing well and some of these games are pretty ugly the way they've lost them, you always know you're going to get four or five Juan Soto plate appearances. And that's reason to put down whatever you've got and pay close attention. It's a lot of fun. That price tag for that potential Juan Soto (laughs) extension, you know, people have said, does it start with a three? Does it start with a four? It may have to start with a five, man. Who the (laughs) heck knows? To make him that godfather offer, the long-term extension offer he can't refuse, I don't know. That number is flying to the moon right now with the way this guy is producing. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you. And that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. There's Luis Garcia. Garcia hits one high and deep to right field. Sanchez drifting back, looking up. This one's way back there, and it is long gone. Caught by a fan in the first row of the second deck. Luis Garcia goes yard, his sixth home run of the season. It's the Nationals four, Miami nothing. Garcia crushes Hernandez's first pitch and hits it over the bullpen. And a fan reaching out over the second deck makes the catch of Garcia's long home run. There were other Nationals who produced offensively on Wednesday night. And someone I want to single out is Luis Garcia. So his series did not get off to the greatest of starts. He had that terrible base running blunder 
in the 8-7-10 inning loss at the Marlins on Monday night, inexplicably not scoring from second base on the Lane Thomas leadoff opposite field double to right field in the top of the 10th inning. But here's the truth. Luis Garcia ends up having a really nice series here for the Nats. Over the three games, he goes six for 14 with a homer, two doubles, and three singles. And Garcia was added on Wednesday night, two for five with a solo homer and a double. Uh, Top of the second, a one-out double off the left center field wall. And then top of the fourth, a one-out first pitch, solo homer to the second deck in right field for a 4-0 Nats lead. Now, a fan in the second deck caught the baseball I don't know if it would have actually landed in the second deck, but we'll go ahead and call it a second deck homer. The homer going a projected 404 feet per stat cast. Luis Garcia is slugging 532 in this month of September. He's had a bunch of doubles. We've talked about that, but he adds a home run to the mix here on Wednesday night. And look, I know the base running thing was bad on Monday night, but this actually ends up being quite a productive series for Luis Garcia. Yeah, I was just about to give you the September numbers. 286 average, 532 slugging, 836 OPS. He's got eight doubles this month, a triple and three homers in 21 games. He is starting to put it together and put it together consistently. Now, is he still rough around the edges? Yes, absolutely. Is he a finished product? No, not even close. There's a lot of things he still needs to work on. But as we pointed out, he's 21. And he's really hasn't even played a lot in the minors, let alone in the majors because of injuries and you know, some other things. So he is the one, I think, at this point that we can say we have seen clear improvement here since he was called up. And that's such a good sign because we haven't seen that with everyone else. And more and more, I'm watching him and thinking to myself, like, yeah, he should be a part of this moving forward. Doesn't guarantee that he's going to be a star or that he's going to be the everyday second baseman in the long run. But he's certainly doing enough here to say that he deserves to keep being out there and being considered for it in the long run. And if he can just kind of clean up that stuff around the edges, become a little smarter player, more consistent in the field, on the bases, at the plate, you know, start to learn how to draw some walks a little bit. That's a bit of an issue for him. But he's young enough and is showing enough promise here to make me think that there is more there and that he can continue on this trajectory. And, you know, his closest friend on the team and sort of his idol, even though he's you know, only a year younger than him is Juan Soto. And he really does try to model himself after Juan in a lot of ways. And I think that's such a nice thing because there's nobody better to try to do that with. Now, is he going to be Juan Soto? No, nobody can. But if he can just pick up a few things from him and and Juan can take him under his wing, I think it could go a long way towards helping him become the more complete player that they all hope he can be. Yeah, I mean, there were questions about Luis Garcia, the batter at the major league level. I don't know that he's fully answered them, but he's definitely moving more toward that territory of, all right, this guy is a major league hitter. He is worthy of being an everyday player. It's been nice to see what Luis has done over these last few weeks. Another guy who was kind of a goat for the Nats on Monday night was Alcides Escobar. Two big defensive miscues in three-run innings for the Marlins. But Escobar, like Garcia, ends up having a good series here at Miami. Escobar ends up going six for 14 with a double, five singles, and two walks as another productive game on Wednesday night, two for four with two singles in the walk, including two like vintage Alcides Escobar plate appearances. So two run 30 as a leadoff single to left field. Top of the fifth, he draws a leadoff eight pitch walk despite having been down in the count at 1.02. He's done this like a million times this year, down 0-2-1-2, turns a plate appearance into a productive one. And then Escobar and that Nats three run seventh, a full count single on a weekly hit ball to shallow right center field. I mean, this guy, he has to lead the league in like weekly hit baseballs or baseballs that aren't supposed to be hits, but he ends up always dropping them 
where they ain't. You know, like Wee Willie Keeler said many years ago, hit them where they ain't. I feel like Alcides Escobar has that thing going for him. The plate coverage is supreme, and he just finds a way to produce hits like very few people you'll ever see, and he did it again on Wednesday night. Yeah, and I love watching just because it's different. You just don't see those kind of players anymore. Such a opposite of the swing as hard as you can, and you either hit it out of the park or you strike out, and either one of those is acceptable. So I like it. I'm not saying everybody should be like that in 2021, but I think it's fine to have one guy in your team who does that, brings a different element to the game. So I enjoyed it. I thought he had a good night in the field as well, a couple of plays that I starred in my uh, scorebook. So, you know, good for him from bouncing back from that rough one the other night. And, you know, on the list of issues right now for the Nationals, I don't think Escobar is one of them. Now, we can debate, is he the answer at shortstop next year or not? I'm not sure. You know, they might do better than that. But I think what he's done you know, merits at least being considered for the job on a short-term basis. And and maybe this is sort of a revival of his career that looked lost, you know, prior to him joining the Nationals in July. Yeah. And then another guy who produced on Wednesday night, Yadiel Hernandez, two for five solo homer and an RBI double. Top of the second, he smashes a leadoff homer to center field to put the Nats up one nothing. And then in the Nats three run seventh, a one out opposite field RBI double into left field to beat the shift on an 0-2 pitch for a 7-2 Nats lead. I don't know if he was trying to do that or not, but it worked to perfection because like nobody was near third base there for the Marlins. So Yadiel in this, his age 33 rookie season, has an OPS now on the year of 749. You know, there's an argument, I guess, to be made of maybe he should be the starting left fielder next year. We'll see what the Nationals do this offseason. But I tell you what, as a number four outfielder, he looks pretty good in that role. He'd be one of the better number four outfielders in baseball, a guy who can, you know, give you a 750 OPS or thereabouts. And, you know, I know he's not great defensively. We've seen some struggles there, but he's been a pretty consistent batter for the Nats this season. Yeah, I think there have been some moments as he started to really play every day that you saw the production go down a little bit, but it seems to be coming back up. So that's good. We know he's a good professional hitter. The defense does remain a significant issue. I think he will very much figure into the equation if there is a DH next year. That helps buy some playing time for him where maybe he starts in left field some of the time, but he DHs some of the time. He can come off the bench and pinch hit. It's a little unfortunate that they continue to be so left-handed heavy with their backup outfielders. If you have Hernandez and Stevenson again next year, it's a little odd. That's not the best case scenario for that. We still don't know how Victor Robles fits into this. We think Lane Thomas is going to be part of the equation, whether it's in center field or in left field. So they've got options there, certainly. I can't believe I'm saying this because it's not what I prefer as a baseball purist, but this team is probably positioned right now to be better with a DH next year than without it, because that opens the gate for Hernandez. It may open the gate for Zimmerman to come back. I think they may be in better shape as a DH team than a non-DH team. Yeah, I mean, I think they were in better shape for that this year. It, <laughs> you almost feel like they thought there was going to be a DH with the way the roster <laughs> ended up being constructed. Question for you regarding Nats position players right now. Is Riley Adams injured? No, no. <laughs> Not that we know of. Okay, so I got to vent on this for a second, all right? Alex Avila was the Nats starting catcher on Wednesday night, and he did have a good game, all right? He went two for four with a double and a single, got hit by a pitch as well. I know he's retiring. I know everybody likes him, but Alex Avila now has started two of the Nats' last five games. He's appeared in three of the Nats' last five games. He's retiring. We know this. He's going away. I don't know if they started him to help out Josiah Gray on Wednesday night or whatever, but Riley Adams, who has done nothing to warrant less playing time, who's played well, 
has now started just one of the Nats' last 11 games. I don't understand this. I mean, Avila, he starts the Corbin game and he starts the Gray game. Again, maybe they're doing this because of his experience behind the plate, but he's leaving you. Even if he does well with those guys, it doesn't matter. His career is ending this year. Riley Adams is a potential piece. And again, one start over the last 11 games, they pinch hit with Avila the other day. They didn't use Riley Adams in that spot. I don't understand this. Why are we seeing more of Alex Avila than Riley Adams over these last few games? All right, let me answer this in two parts. The first part is, yes, I'd like to see more of Riley Adams. They need to try to find a way, even if that comes at the expense of a Cabert Ruiz start here or there. I think that's okay if it comes to that. But the second part of the equation, why did Avila start this game? Two reasons. Number one, David did want him catching Josiah Gray. He thought that would make a difference. And I think we have to say at least, you know, whether he was the reason for it or not, Josiah had a good game finally. And with a veteran calming presence behind the plate, for whatever reason, it hadn't worked out the last few with Ruiz and Adams. So I think there was some benefit to that. Now, that doesn't mean he should then catch the rest of his starts. <laughs> no, because he's not going to be catching him in the future. But for this one night, I thought it was okay. The other reason he started the game is he's from Miami. He has a lot of family there. He's retiring. And this was his last chance to play in front of all of them in his hometown. I personally don't have a problem with it, provided that he maybe gets one more start the rest of the way. I don't think he should be getting anything more than that. And I agree, we want to see more of Riley Adams, and hopefully there will be more opportunities for him, but I was perfectly fine with Avila catching this particular game under those circumstances. He's a great guy. I got nothing personal against Alex Avila, but you know he's been with the team one year. He's retiring. Riley Adams is the future. Riley Adams needs to play more. Like It'd be one thing if he was slumping. He's done nothing to warrant less playing time. So I just didn't want to note that. Patrick Corbin is starting the next game. Avila's not going to start game one at the at the Reds on Thursday night, is he? Geez, I'm going to blow it if that happens. No, I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. But I'll say this as well, that Riley Adams, I think at this point, I mean, like, there's no question he's on the team next year. You know, they've seen what he is. Like, they're not evaluating him. Yes, more playing time is helpful for everyone. But it's not like he needs, you know, a strong finish here to go into the offseason and make them convinced that he's part of the team. Like, no, I think they've seen what they need to see and they like what they see. And he's going to be a part of it. Yes, I'd like to see him play a little bit more than he has. It's unfortunate that's how it's worked out. But I don't think it's detrimental to his development that he misses a, a game or two that he would otherwise start. I would say this too, if one of the major reasons is because Avila is better at handling these pitchers, I would counter that by saying, well, then these catchers need to learn to be better with these pitchers. Like if Riley Adams needs to be a better game caller and a better receiver, he's going to learn that by catching more and by working with Josiah Gray more. I mean, you know, these games in September don't matter. Give guys reps. So anyway, we will see. 10 games to go here for the Nationals this season. Like we said, four game series coming up. At the Cincinnati Reds, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher in that game. You can always hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast to NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. I want to give a shout out to Eric Fussfield. He sent us an email. Uh, this is going back to last week now, but it was a photo of him wearing a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt at Nationals Park while listening to an episode of the Nats Chat Podcast while waiting for Nationals players to take the field. So he had the shirt on. He was listening to the pod while sitting at Nationals Park waiting for the Nats to take the field. I don't know that there's much more that we could ask of any listener than doing that. So Eric Fussfield, you are a soldier, a true soldier in the Nats chat army. 
multi-talented star. I mean, that's putting it all together. That's the five-tool package there. Wearing the shirt and listening to the podcast before the game, we appreciate it. And uh, spread the word. Keep telling your friends about it, please. Yeah, we appreciate that very much. Well, you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. Oh, Kate Cavalli pitched on Wednesday. I do want to make mention of this pitching for AAA Rochester. Four runs in four innings. Seven hits allowed. Did have eight strikeouts versus no walks. You know, so we're going off the line here. I, I didn't watch the outing, so I don't know the particulars of the outing. But he gives up two home runs. His ERA at the AAA level is six over five starts. So, you know, he's had a very good season overall, but his time at AAA has not been sparkling. So, you know, we've discussed this a little bit. There probably is some room with which to grow, and uh, there's some improvement that's needed. And uh, he has another kind of shaky outing here for AAA on Wednesday night. Yeah. So look, the two points, like you said, he's had a rapid ascension through the system. Most guys don't do that. First professional season, really. Last year didn't count. To go single A, double A, triple A is a lot for anyone. So it starts with that. And I do think these starts at AAA are really valuable because, like we said all along, you're facing more seasoned hitters at that level. They may not be great hitters, but they're, in a lot of cases, guys who have big league experience. They're more selective hitters. They're not going to chase pitches out of the zone the way that maybe they do at single A and double A. So I think there is value in this for him. There's a reason, as we're seeing, why they didn't just rush him to the big leagues. And to be honest, this may be the reason that he starts next year at AAA. There's a long time to go. We'll find out how that all works out for him. But I'm sure, you know, knowing Mike Rizzo and the way they try to approach these things, they never want to call one of these top prospects up and then have to send him back down after a few starts. When they do it, they want to be sure that he is ready for it. And to be sure he's ready for it, they want to see some success, sustained success at the AAA level. So until he does that, let's cool down the talk of him pitching in the big leagues. Yeah. And especially if the same service time clock rules are in effect for next year, there's really no reason to start the season with him at the major league level. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chatter, courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. We will leave you with one of our latest voice memos right now. Our friend, the Rally Mullet, with a prediction for 2022. Hello, Nats Chat. That was in my Newman voice, by the way. Uh, this is the Rally Mullet, and I wanted to give my Nats 2022 season projection and prediction. I'm going to look at this as a realist. The Nats do have plenty of young talent in the starting lineup, offensively and in the rotation. But will that young talent result in wins? Here's my starting nine in my fan opinion as to who I would like to see play. Lane Thomas, Luis Garcia, Juan Soto, Josh Bell. Kibum or sign a third baseman. A rental shortstop or throw some money at Simeon. Ruiz. Starting at catcher, obviously have the platoon with Adams and Victor Robles, who's going to be new and improved. Victor Robles in the ninth spot, or eighth spot, and then obviously the pitcher spot ninth. So those pitchers I have is Straws, Corbin, Gray, Fetty, and bringing up Cavalli. The Nats need to stop thinking that they're playing in NL rules and go out and play like they're playing in the AL team does, but have a secure bullpen. And that's what I depends on what I believe is the most important thing Nats need to take care of this offseason is finding a relief pitching and pitching coach. There has to be an effort to dig into pitchers who do not walk batters and give free passes and runs. As long as they can continue to just do that, 
it'll keep the guys on the offense in the frame of mind that all they need to do is score a couple runs late start with to have a win and the identity of the net starting rotation needs to be addressed that their starters jobs have to include finishing out seven if not six and you know have better flex position up and down the lineup and call it a day thank you Newman. she went out with Newman. No, it isn't. And the most distressing part about it is not that she went out with him, but that he stopped seeing her. Do you understand? He, Newman. Newman stopped seeing her. Newman never stopped seeing anybody. Newman will see whoever is willing to see him. So the question then is not so much why did she see him, as disturbing as that is, but why did he, Newman, stop seeing her? Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.